Testing, testing. Maybe what would help you, if hey, I what? If you actually press the right buttons for a change. So you're not you without uh, without the music. Yeah, when you you're mess, like a Snickers commercial. When you mess with the music, you mess with me. I need music. Music is the the uh, the juice of the the nectar of life. And so, please, please, can we just let this music go just a little longer this time? It's been so long since we've been together. Give me some music. that kind of music I could do some beatbox could you just shut up right now ladies and gentlemen give us just 10-15 seconds with the music turn it the change turn it he's doing a little hand wave you all can't see it hey that's so much better so to all of our valuable listeners so sorry that Dave and I have taken almost two months off, about a month and a half. Um, Can I correct that? We really want to apologize. Uh, it was, truth be told, all Dave's fault. He is the major slacker in this relationship. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is why it takes two to make a podcast, because I've been here. I'm, I'm here to apologize on Dave's behalf. I've been here three weeks in a row. I've been looking for a podcast. And the man never shows up. What have you got to say for yourself, whole squad? All right, that's it's kind of my fault, I admit. So I've been, uh, I got, I got. He's uh, become Mr. Big Important Dude at Northern Seminary. <laughs> Hasn't I've got teaching, time for the rest of I've us been little people. Two classes to do. plus uh, an intensive that was thrown on top of that, and I just finished a webinar with Scott McKnight, which went brilliantly, by the way. Oh, we need to get your you. Expertise. We need to get you on a webinar soon. So all of you who missed it, I could shoot out in the show notes. But we did a webinar with Scott McKnight, the Great Gospel Experiment. Um, it's about forty minutes long. It's fantastic. You could check it out if you just uh, jump on the Northern page and look for a Great Gospel Experiment, or go jump on the Northern Facebook feed. You'll be able to find it, no problem. But it was a lot of fun. But it, it took a lot of work. Uh, so I was teaching a lot, did a lot of work. What, what have you been doing? Oh, nothing. Dave Fitch is on sabbatical, people. Folks, I've been on sabbatical. No like... teaching. That's why I'm busy. I'm taking your class. Yeah, well. Is this thing on? Dude, is everybody hearing us great? Dude, all I can say is this hasn't been a sabbatical. I've been working more on sabbatical than off sabbatical. Whatever it is, off on sabbatical and off sabbatical. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get to the subject of the matter. Since, since you and I... Uh, kind of opted off the airwaves. I think we're just, uh, our last podcast or two was post-Trump. We have seen a barrage of political uh, uproar and problems and conflict and explosions from Washington, D.C., mainly at the hands of Mr. Trump himself and his Twitter feed. But I thought it might be a good thing just to remind ourselves about Romans chapter 13. Because actually, Romans chapter 13 has been used more than any other text that I've seen in the last month to substantiate a posture towards and support of the government of Trump. And I'd just like to clarify a few things on Romans chapter 13. What do you think about Romans chapter 13? Has it, have you seen it You've been used in a way to gain support for an existing government, whatever that government might be. And in this case, of course, we're talking about uh, the Trump administration. Yes, yeah, so I have. 
Uh, and it usually goes something like this. I try to, to talk about how the church should have uh, or engage in politics of its own uh, like kind of substance, its own community, and that it should neither fit into the politics of the right or the left. And then people immediately misunderstand that and then think that Romans 13 is the only text of Scripture that ever addresses how the church should engage with the government. And so they bring it up. Be submission or be in subjection to the rulers that God has instituted over you uh, to punish evil and to reward good. Uh, therefore, we should not moan, complain about the government in because words, we, we should, should get behind our leaders. So and, uh, uh, has that been your experience roughly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, regularly so. Uh, by the way, it's the standard interpretation of Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. And, you know, you know, I won't read the whole thing, but let every why, person... Why don't you read the whole thing? Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have opposed who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves taxes. to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. By the way, Trump doesn't pay his taxes. Render to all what is <laughs> due to them. Because we Tax to whom taxes. taxes due. He said he doesn't pay taxes. He's smart. He says he's smart because of it. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. All right. So I would like to say. And I'll, so I'll, that passage is also used to dissuade anyone from civil disobedience. Just right to put that out there. So I have, I think, three maybe four points that I'd like to summarize our view of Romans chapter 13 on. First of all, Romans chapter... I'm not sure that's my view. Why don't you summarize your view and then I'll let you know if it's my view or our view. I could speak for the listeners. Continue. Oh. Hmm. Testy. Uh, Folks, uh, first of all, let's be careful to read uh, chapter 13, 1 through 7 in context with Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 13, 8 and following. Let's remember Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, etc., etc. There is a there is a solid core, uh, a substantive understanding of living our lives under the lordship and worship of God and in integrity, and that being our sole source of formation to who we are going to be in the world, not Caesar, Jesus. And then it talks about an ethic of peace. You know, I won't go through the whole thing. This is only a 25-minute podcast, but verse 3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly than yourself. Live as a body of Christ. Not verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and then, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. The whole communal ethic, the whole communal idea of being of the same mind toward one another, not haughty, but associate with the lowly, never pay back evil for evil, respect what is right, if possible, verse 18, 
very important. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take revenge. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So there's this whole entire um, ethic, ethos, culture of the king, of the church living in the world, submitting to what God's doing in the world, at peace in the world. So in line with that, we also enter a relationship with our government in the same way. Um, We are living uh, not in terms of giving the government authority, like, like for instance, um, the authority of God. Uh, you, you know, in the history of, I'm going to go too long on this, but in the history of Romans chapter 13, there was what some call the positivistic Lutheran uh, way of seeing that, which says that this particular government is ordained by God and must be obeyed. By the way, a lot of people say that is what led to, um, you know, the split between the private and the social, and the social is the sphere of the government, and a lot of people say in Germany that led to Nazi Hitler. That's debatable, but we won't uh, go into that now. But there's then there's inflammatory. Then there's the Calvin understanding. It's not about a specific government. It's about government in general. Government conceptually is ordained by God. But what about the fact that um, you know taking both sides here uh, as limited? What about talking about the fact that all government? is not permanent, and it's being brought under the subjection of God. He's bringing them into line. And so when Paul says, and this argument is some an argument that many Anabaptists have made, when Paul says, be subordinate, suborder, this idea, not a command to obey the government without discernment, but command to suborder oneself. Be subordinate within the ordering of what God is doing. And it implies that God is bringing all government under the order of himself. Now, the way God works, little commercial, Greg Boyd, crucifixion of the warrior God. The way God works in the world is he comes in and uses evil government like I, like Cyrus and Isaiah. But he brings them under his own order. And so we are to enter into that and allow God to do his work. But that does not mean we are not to resist. So the first, my first point is this. Jeff, are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Why are you on your phone right now? Because I think, no, okay, you said it right. You said the crucifixion of the warrior God. I thought it was the death of the warrior God. So no. I was just facts. I was fact checking, but you were factual. Thank you. Continue. Not alternative facts. No. Real facts. Crucifixion of the warrior God, Greg Boyd. But um, my first point is. Understand Romans 13, 1 through 7. Do not extract it, but keep it within the whole context of, of Romans chapter 12, 13, 8 and following. That we are a community of the king, living in an, our, the integrity of the formation, of the transforming of the world under it is of Jesus as Lord. And in that context, we enter into the world where God is working. He's sub-ordering all things. He's ordering all things, and we are sub-ordering ourselves into that order. So it is a, a order in flex. It is God is using it, but also bringing it under subjection. But it might take some time. And there are times in our world where our government is not, is in rebellion, the powers and principalities, and they must be 
resisted, but resisted nonviolently and being subordered to what God is doing. Does that make sense to you, Jeff? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Not a command yeah. to obey. That's my second point. It's a command to suborder ourselves to the ordering of God. All right, well, hold on. We'll, we'll wait for the, the the second one, the obey one first. Uh, but before that, you brought context in. For, first point is context, Romans yeah. 12, 13, so, 8 and following. So you brought the context into Romans, but I want to bring it also into other Paul's writings. So when those words, uh, powers or principalities or institutions, are used is they're used in two complementary fashions as they can be either uh, used to refer to human uh, rulers and kings and people like that, or it can be used to be to refer to spiritual powers and principalities. This is where the famous Ephesians 6, uh, our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of the heavenly realms and things like that. And so in Paul, you get the sense that the powers and principalities are both spiritual powers as well as human institutions. And elsewhere in Paul, we hear repeatedly that Christ has ruled over, is ruling over, and made a spectacle out of all the institutions and all of the uh, powers and principalities. And so when we come to this particular passage, we need to see the whole picture where Christ is ruling over those things. Yes. And, uh, and so to your second point, when we suborder um, within them, that's actually just a way of submitting and living to and in Christ. And um, peaceful work to change the world. There's peaceful work. But I, I, also, I bring that up because in Romans 13, it all sounds so very benign. Um, and that these things are just, you know, like uh, cheerful servants of God. But in other places, we find that they're not, that they're in rebellion. And so we have Revelation to Revelation chapter 13. Well, even within Paul. But yeah, certainly Revelation chapter 13 and other places. So we have to hold the tension, the big picture tension that the created or however you view these institutions and governments are servants of God, but they're also, like us, in rebellion to God. Just like every human being is made in the image of God, and so in that sense we reflect God, but we're also broken and so we're sinful. And so when we come to Romans 13, we have to understand that it's not just um, honky-dory and that this government is to be blindly followed no matter what. And in actuality, the government of that day, the Caesar government, uh, was was a pagan government. I don't believe... It was actually the later persecution government of Rome, but still Caesar demanded full and complete allegiance to his lordship. This was against the Christian uh, understanding of Jesus as Lord. It got a lot of Christians in trouble back then. But, you know, around 50, 60, 70 A.D., Caesar required to be Caesar's Lord, and many people, including N.T. Wright, think that Romans had this underlying theme of saying, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. So it hardly makes sense that Paul would say in Romans chapter 13, well, of course, obey and support the full authority of the Caesar government of Rome that you are living under. Right. And, and that's where you and I get into trouble is people don't understand the earlier, or they don't see the earlier political, what is called in the academy, the anti-imperial polemic that P- Paul has worked through the beginning chapters of Romans. And so when you get to Romans 13, you know it's not just a blanket statement to obey the government because he's already taken a bunch of time to show that Caesar is not Christ and he's a false God and that Christ is the only true ruler. Right. So the first point is uh, take the whole context. Romans chapter 12, 13 is the living, uh, vibrant, substantive 
a community of peace, living under the Lordship of Christ. That's out of the integrity. That's how we're supposed to live. And within that context, Romans chapter 13 makes sense. Go into the world, not creating violence, but by peace, resisting, and by your witness, you shall overthrow the government. Or, well, before you move on to your next point, I just want to interject there, uh, just to fill out that anti-imperial polemic, because not everybody knows what that is. So uh, when we hear the words gospel or we hear the word salvation, or we hear the word Lord, we immediately think of the Christian context and what we're in. What we forget is that, and I know this is not news to you, Dave, but uh, what we forget is that uh, Caesar understood himself as the Lord who rules over all people. That Caesar himself understood himself to be the savior of the Roman Empire who had brought peace to all people. And that there was a good news that his heralds would go around proclaiming that he had brought peace and salvation to all people. And so when we hear the words gospel, salvation, peace, and Lord, we just think of Jesus. But Paul's using those words to kind of stick it to uh, Caesar and uh, the Roman way of speaking about those things. So that is kind of the groundwork. Okay, next point there for you, Dave. Yeah, so so my first point is read it in the context of 12 and 13. If pastors, if you're out there leading your, your church in... The ways of relating to the government. This is this is uh, a good place to start. Let's read Re- uh, Romans chapter thirteen in relation to Romans chapter twelve, thirteen, and following. Hopefully, we make that clear. The second point, however, is when he says, "Let every person be in subjection to or subordination to," he is talking about God is ordering the world. Now, granted, he does it very patiently. He allows violence and and the outworking of consequences of sin. Uh, and therefore, uh, yet he's bringing things to himself, and God never works in violence. He holds back violence. Sometimes he pulls himself from the violence, but he never works in and through violence. Therefore, when Paul says, suborder yourselves, subordinate yourselves to the ordering of God, he is not saying obey. He is saying allow the ordering of God to take place and cooperate with it absolutely i don't know i don't have anything to add there the question then becomes uh when there's slippage between obedience to christ and obedience to the laws of the land what do you do uh you resist let me before i get to that question i just want to um uh shoot now i forgot what i was going to say oh yeah i was going to say john howard yoder and i always put in rfyc whenever i mention his name just to let the minute know i know Yoder has character issues that I have considered deeply, but don't have time to go into now. But when Yoder called that radical subordination, it was through this kind of subordering and 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 cooperating with what God is doing and not cooperating, not obeying what God is not doing, that we were able to cooperate with the new world God is bringing in to being. And so uh, this rad- this idea of radical subordination, by the way, runs throughout all the New Testament. Um, so that's that's. Let us just try to understand what that means when we preach Romans. Or, yeah, Romans chapter thirteen. The last part, though, and we'll close the podcast with this. I think is, um, you know, what do we do when um, a unjust government imposes an unjust law? Do we just subordinate ourselves to it? Um, I think that this is where the last part of of the of the section one through seven gets to. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience' sake. For conscience' sake. For because of this, you pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, 
devoting themselves to this very thing. Um, I believe it's Yoder that says something like, they are ruling when they are devoting themselves to the functions they've been given. And therefore, render to all what is due them, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. In other words, that text, that's another one to take a very close look at, folks, for you who know Greek, etc., etc., is is Paul not saying whenever um, they are honoring their function, render to them what is due them, but when not, do not. Withhold taxes, dare I say. Withhold honor. Withhold and even resist unjust laws. That's the last three verses of Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. So I think what, uh, to summarize, um, once we see Romans chapter 13 in this way, we're kind of dislodged or disrupted from the, uh, the classic, I'll call it Christendom understanding of Romans chapter 13, which says government is always good. Let's cooperate and obey it and give it its proper due and let God do his work through the government. No, government is not always good, as you pointed out. Principalities and authorities, once they separate themselves from God, and go in autonomy from God, often turn in on themselves and become evil and become devouring institutions. And at this point, we need to not go into a violent interaction with them, but to stay true to the integrity of who we are in Christ and resist peacefully uh, and allow God to sub or, or order all um, governments to subjection to him. Does that make sense? That was kind of a thick, That's thick. exposition so let of Let me just sum up text. in my words there. Uh, so sometimes we can feel like, well, these governments exist and I live here. And because they exist, I need to obey them. Uh, which, you know, in my philosophy speak, that's like a naturalistic or substantial view of the government. But you're saying, and Paul's saying, that, well, no, there's functions. There's a functional approach. And when the government is functioning the way God intended for it to function, uh, we should submit and obey to it. But if it's not functioning that way, then there's other things we need to do. So like in our context here in America, we have what's called the separation of powers or branches of government, the legislative, which uh, makes laws, the executive, which is the president that executes the laws, um, and the judicial, which judges the laws. Um, And so, and those are supposed to kind of, in a sense, balance each other. And so, that we could say those are the functions of those different uh, those different branches of government. So if one of them stops functioning the way it's supposed to be, um, if the executive branch starts making laws instead of executing laws, then it's not functioning the way it's supposed to be, and we you know, can resist or protest or whatever. And if the executive or the legislative branch uh, abdicates its, uh, its uh, powers to make laws uh, or things like that or makes false laws and the judicial branch is supposed to call them, right? So these things are supposed to work together. And when they don't, we as Christians should let them know. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Can I summarize it up in one sentence? Yeah. Sorry, you for, turn my, your phone sorry off? for my phone. Ba-ding! Ba-ding! Romans 13, one through seven was a text. Here's my sentence. Are you listening? I'm listening. Mom. Romans 13 was a text written towards a government that persecuted Christians. Mm-hmm. It was a subversive text. Right. Talking about the way we witness against the powers, not by violence, but by obedience to God alone. 
Sorry about that phone. I don't know who's trying to get a hold of me. Somebody on Facebook really wants to talk to you. All right. What do you think? Can I say it one more time? Yeah. Romans 13 was a text written towards a government in Rome that persecuted Christians. It was therefore a subversive text talking about the way we witness against the powers, not by violence, but by obedience to God alone. With that, ladies and gentlemen, that'll, that'll be it for the podcast for today. You wanted to talk about your books. You've been yeah, reading a lot of books over we the holidays. Talk about, yeah, we got to talk about the books. I, uh, I did do a lot of reading. Uh, I'm just going to do a plug. It's a shameless plug. I've actually been reading this book called Reclaiming Hope by Michael Ware. Uh, and we're actually going to have him on the podcast just here in a couple of days, and it'll be posted very soon. He is uh, an ex-White House staffer for the Obama administration for um, faith outreach. And so he was an evangelical who was uh, advocating um, and discussing and working with President Obama for uh, for a while. So I've been reading his book. It's been uh, very uh, interesting. It's kind of like a political uh, memoir on some levels, but also challenging on others. So uh, that's been pretty pretty fun, and he'll be on soon. So that's reclaiming. Yeah, hope. and so we have a chance to talk to him about the subject we just finished talking about. Yeah, um, and I think it is. Uh, it, I read the book too, and I'm very interested in engaging uh, him because I think he he does he is kind of like a manifesto for why Christians should be involved in politics and spend their time and energies working for good in the political realm. And then and he ends I, the whole book with, "But don't put your hope in politics," which is good. <laughs> Well, he has a whole chapter, you mean, on that? Yeah, on the end. Uh, uh, no, I read the end. But All right. Well, well go on. All right. All what was say, your book? All that, uh, I'll have, I will, I don't know about you, but I'll have some questions for him. I have been reading this book, Cosmopolitan Canopy, Race and Civility in Everyday Life. It's by a guy Ooh. named Elijah Anderson. Um, he's a sociology, he's a sociologist at Yale. A fascinating study of the cues of urban life and how... Um, we can read the cues and every, and we are separated by race, by color, by um, by our ethnicity, and we give off cues and we don't and we segregate because we don't trust one another. And this is particularly affects the black man, uh, Elijah Anderson says. And yet there are spaces in our cities and in our little streets and villages within the cities where segregation does not happen. But rather, people come together and trust one another and are able to relate to one another as people, not with certain cultural heritages, but on the other hand, not out of distrust. McDonald's, by the way, is one of these interesting places in the cities where uh, white people, black people, Latino people can all come together and talk. I find that uh, a good read for us to learn how to make space for those kind of conversations in our neighborhoods. The name of the book, Cosmopolitan Canopy, Elijah Anderson, strongly recommended. Well, here we are at the end of our first podcast of 2017. We're going to talk about how It was kind of rough. We got There's to talk a lot about of, we got to talk about There's a lot of repetitiveness, not always clear. Folks, we promise to work better next time. Go ahead, talk about our one. As we sign off, uh, we're excited to announce that Stanley Howarth is coming to the Barry campus here at Northern Seminary to host our second annual Theology and Mission Lectureship. You can pre-register and get a special gift if you go to seminary.edu slash onmission17. That's on mission and then the year that it is 17. Seminary.edu slash onmission17. Pre-register so you know 
You can get the best price for the registration, and you'll get a free gift for doing it. Uh, Stanley registration House. is how much? Uh, it's still to be determined. That's why we're. it's not up yet. It's going to be cheap, whatever but it, it is. Yeah, it's going to be cheap. Uh, it's going to be an evening on a Thursday and morning uh, Friday, Friday morning at the very beginning of June. And he'll be talking about, do we need the church? Do we need the church? Do we need the church? Stanley Harawas in June here at Northern Seminary. You don't want to miss it. And we're going to live stream it too. Pow, pow. So, there's going to be a lot of q and I'm going to be leading at least two sessions of Q&A. Absolutely. So it's going to be great. So that's up and Does running. God need the church for mission is another way to talk about that. Yes. So check that out. That'll be in the Looking show Looking forward notes. to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to be with you one more time. We're going to promise to be on every week or so for the next 12 months. Aren't you? <laughs> the next 12 months. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And All we're right. going to get some webinars for you also. Till our next podcast. Signing it's over off. now from Northern Seminary. Dave Fitch. Jeff Holesclaw.